here. Um, I hope you survived the storm last night and it got a bit of rain. If you were like me, you were hammering down your trampoline at 11.30 to make sure it didn't fly away because you've already repaired it twice this year and you're not going to repair it again and uh, that's Christmas um, spirit. So wait, glad you're here. Um, my name's Darren, one of the pastors here. Uh, we have the joy and privilege of finishing off our series in Song of Songs. Um, and I know we said at the start, the best lead up to Christmas is Song of Songs because you're just thinking, of course, it all just connects in perfectly. Uh, we've been talking about spices and oils, which makes you, frank, you know, think of Christmas cake, frankincense and myrrh. Uh, and so that's the connection, um, which isn't actually the connection. The reality is at the heart of the Song of Songs and at the heart of Christmas really is a, is a love story, isn't it? Um, it's a love story that involves desires and longings and waitings. And so the whole story of Advent, the season we've been in, the lead up to Christmas, is waiting. It's waiting, it's longing. And so really, this, this hope of a Messiah in the Song of Songs, uh, its picture or it points to the desire for the Lord to return, um, really does fit in well with this Advent season. So um, we'll, we'll tease that out a little bit more in today's uh, sermon. So what we'd love to do is read the text for us today uh, and then pray and um, get into it. So reading from Song of Songs, chapter 8, beginning in verse 8, reading through to the end at verse 14. Hear now God's word. We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall... We will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I was a wall, and my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Balhamon. He led out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit, 200. O you who dwell in the gardens, with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountain of spices. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that you have spoken um, into this area of our lives around love, desire, sex, and marriage. Um, Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning? We're eager to hear. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been with our shepherd boy and country girl uh, for six weeks so far. We have been experiencing love from the inside out, as it were, as we've heard their song of love. And we hope that this song does get stuck in your head. Uh, We want this song to get stuck in your head, and so it gets lodged in your heart. Uh, The purpose of this song is to form the community of God in the ways around love, sex, desire, and marriage. So for the singles, we we hope that this melody has been encouraging encouraging for you and not disheartening. We hope it's been formative for marriage preparation for those who desire it or even just navigating present desires that you have, Um, even preparing you to encourage the marriages in this community as they seek to follow the Lord. 
And for married couples, we hope the songs that stuck in your head, and we hope that it shapes and informs your heart towards rock-solid commitment and white-hot intimacy. We need to recognize finding the harmony for marriages um, can be difficult. So, some, so along the way, maybe some of you have felt, um, gee, I, I hope my husband's listening to this part. Or, gee, I hope my wife's taking notes here. This would be particularly good if she was. But now that we're like seven weeks in, you're wondering if they've been listening to the song at all. Have they been paying attention? And so we do want to say, if, if there is further conversations that you've been unable to have so far in your marriages, or if you're single and you want to have those conversations, please come speak to us as pastors. Or speak to the other members of the church. Part of what this song wants to do is, is, is kind of put it out in front of us to talk about these things, because they really do matter. This is a song set for the Christian community. And that's the setting of today's text even. We have a chorus of others in verse 8 and 9, and they're, they're singing the question, asking the question, what shall we do with our young ones? So picture for a moment the, the wedding festival is happening. Maybe it's kind of late into the night now, and for us, we're kind of gathering the end of the reception. The speeches are kind of over. We've, we've seen love. We've heard the maiden speak. We've, we've heard the, the man speak. And, and now the, the, the kind of response, the community sings, how will we care for them? This is the part in the night where they would sing that. Well, how are we going to care for them? And by implication, how will her choices or our young ones' choices around sexuality impact the community? at our annual family Christmas uh, party this week. And I've been going attending now since being part of Tegan's family for um, 11 or 12 years. And seeing three of the younger boys, um, some of who weren't even born, kind of these three guys run and um, bomb dive into the pool. And I was just kind of struck in this moment of thinking of them, like, these three guys, who, who's going to instruct these young men in the ways of love and sex and marriage? Another girl at this Christmas party is graduating high school. What message is she going to hear? Will she have the sound of the song reverberating through her ears? Or will she just have the soundtrack of the world playing? What are they going to hear? Now, in this moment, as I was thinking through them jumping in the pool and speaking to this girl, I just thought, man, they're, they're up against so much in this world, aren't they? Aren't our young people just up against so much? The sexual script that is handed to them from society, telling them to play this role, live this way, follow your desires, do what you want as long as it doesn't harm anybody. They're up against so much. And they have a deep need to experience the counter-forming truths of the gospel. They need these practices of scripture to inhabit their heart and their songs to get stuck in their heads so they know what to do with these desires. So today really is a simple thing, how will we respond as a community? How will we respond as a community? And secondly, how do we respond as individuals to this song? So first is a community. I think one of the myths that exists today around um, sex particularly is that what you do in private doesn't impact what happens in public. What people do in their private life is their own business. So how you choose to act what you choose to do doesn't seem to affect or impact anybody else. You do you. Well, the problem is, um, those who think this doesn't cause any harm to others, the question is, harm according to who? Who determines what is harm? There's a growing studies, for instance, around the direct harm of pornography, a largely privately consumed act, 
and the impact that that's having on rather public relationships at large. Links between pornography and lower relationship satisfaction, lower sex drive, sexual dysfunction, poor mental health. One study showed consumers of violent porn were six times more likely to engage in sexually aggressive behavior. Pornography is reshaping people's sexual scripts and it's reshaping people's sexual expectations. Even solutions for such a present evil seem absurd, obscene. I heard a story uh, from a New York education system. They're offering porn literacy classes so you can get uh, acquainted with what is acceptable and not acceptable with regarding uh, consent and conversation. Another um, article suggested that we need to start creating ethical porn so people can consume it in right ways and with right behaviors. It's, it's hard to think that such solutions like this is like, putting filters on the ends of cigarettes in order to make it safe. Sex has been shaped by consumerism, end up treats, end up treating, ends up treating human beings as objects, and it's affecting our society. John Mayer gave an interview in a 2011 magazine, uh, illuminating the, the growing influence of this virtual sexual mall. He speaks of pornography and the way it absolutely is changing his generation's expectation and psychology of relationships. Listen to what he says. He says, this is my problem now. Now, for the record, John Mayer is not some seedy, creepy guy with a kind of weird, like crazy person society. He is kind of like the poster boy of what people would love to be. That's what he says. He says, this is my problem now. Rather than meet someone new, I'd rather go home and replay the amazing experiences I've already had. What that explains is that I'm more comfortable in my imagination than I am in actual human discovery. The best days of my life are when I've dreamed about a sexual encounter with someone I've already been with. Jonathan Grant, author of Divine Sex, reflects on Mayer's comments saying, Mayer makes his point with frightening clarity. We cannot keep sexual fantasy as a separate compartment in our lives nearly sealed off from our other relationships. That is an illusion. Sexual fantasy generates a destructive loop by shaping our expectations for real-life relationships, whilst also displacing those relationships. So we have here the, the rise of pornography, the rise of access, accessible access, you've got the rise of cohabitation, hookup culture, cheap sex, thin commitment in marriages, all of this really is contributing to relational dysfunction and destruction in society. What you do in private is of public concern. What we do with our bodies matters. Cohabitation, no-fault divorce, distracting ourselves into oblivion, all these are contributing. And so because it is of public concern, how we respond as a public community really does matter. So that's what we see in verses 8 and 9. What will we do with our young ones? It says, we have a little sister. She has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? So the older siblings here, they want to help set the appropriate boundaries for their younger sister. Now, when couples begin to date, it's, it's quite common that they would decide on what levels of affection are appropriate to show each other before we're married. I think that's kind of the setting here that these older siblings um, are asking. You've got a younger sister, though she currently has no breast. That is to say, she's on the cusp of puberty. She's, she's not there yet, but she, she's kind of basically there. 
And one day she'll be spoken for, spoken for that is given in marriage, when most marriages were arranged. On that day, how are we going to guard her? How are we as a community going to help her go on the path of purity for the sake of passion? How do we take care of her? Well, their response is twofold, you see. It says they're going to promote the good and protect from the bad. They're going to celebrate and cultivate godliness whilst keeping her from dangers, even dangers to herself. See that verse 9? It says, if she is a wall, that is, so she's sexually chaste, she's sexually closed off, she, she's a virgin whose walls are up, representing that she is um, impenetrable and impregnable, literally. We will build on her a battlement of silver. Now, a battlement was a row of stones, either around a camp or to build a tower. And its goal was to kind of protect and reinforce. So these older siblings, most likely brothers, they're there to protect and reinforce her decision. And the silver shows the honor bestowed upon them for this. They're like, this is a good thing. We're going we're gonna to praise this. This is good in their sight. But she's a door. Doors open and doors close. That is, she's sexually vulnerable. Or she's thinking about stepping out that door into sexual relationship too early. What will they do? Well, they will enclose her with boards of cedar. <laughs> One writer says they're going to make for her a, a cedar chastity belt. Uh, another saying, they will wisely and of necessity restrict her freedom and opportunities for sexual foolishness and misbehavior. Now remember, this is not a 40-year-old stepping out into the realm of marriage. This is a young woman with a family caring for her, to protect her. They want to prevent her from walking to sin. They want to prevent her from the unspoken pain of sexual immorality. Extending this out then, through this metaphor, there's, there's, there's sexual pressures that are going to try and get in over the walls into our lives. And there's also some sexual temptations that you're going to be tempted to go through to engage in sex outside of the marriage covenant. Either way, we as a community need to be attentive and engaged and ready and resolved to help. Now, parents, um, one of the myths, I think, about parenting is that you've just, your children get to a certain age and you've, you've just got to kind of give them space to figure it out for themselves. It's interesting, one study on teens around sexual choices, 13 to 17-year-olds, they were asked, if there was one thing that you would change about your family, what would it be? The most common response they received was that young people wished they were closer to their parents. I want to be closer. I want to have these conversations. It can't just be the talk. It needs to be the ongoing talk. You need to talk about it. Love leans in, doesn't it? What might this look like? Well, promoting the good praising and supporting godly choices around sexuality, honoring those who are seeking to honor God with their bodies. Now, I'm not here contending for a kind of purity culture that misses the gospel and tries to motivate by law, kind of freaking everybody out for consequences of, of sexual sin, but rather a gospel culture, a gospel culture which, which celebrates God's good design, that tells the most compelling story around sexuality and desires, that heralds the gospel of grace when our loved ones and young ones fall short. We set a positive vision of yes, not just the rules of no. That's what the song is about. I had a young couple recently uh, come up to me just seeking 
wisdom as they're looking to enter a relationship, asking questions, and they're wanting to honor God with their decisions. And I was like, praise God. That's how it ought to be. People coming in, being open, talking about this. Joe Carter says, we, we practice chastity to develop purity, not for the sake of our own sexuality, but for the sake of Christ. That's the ultimate motivation. So we praise those who are doing this. Praise God. Encourage them. Secondly, we care for our young ones by setting joyful restrictions to keep them from sin. So this is the responsibility of family and peers and, and the church community. We help them see the clarity of covenant love. Teach them, train them in it. Put forth warnings like flee from sexual sin. All other sins you commit are outside your body, but sexual sin is a sin against the body. And parents, placing restrictions on what your children can watch on devices. Guarding against the allure of pornography. Counseling them around wisdom with social media. The clothes they wear. The signals they send off. Where they go out at night. Part of this, friends, this is not to be a controlling force. This is to be a loving force. What are we going to do for our little sister, they say. She's vulnerable to this world. Will you step in and will you care? Oh, we need the attentiveness of parents. We need the attentiveness of peers. And we need the attentiveness of the church community. You know, friends, when couples begin dating, they, the, the, the wisdom there is to lean in with accountability. If, you know, if, you've, if you've got friends who are starting to date, lean in, open up those conversations. Help them, invite them, spend time in, in groups. Help them to know each other as they explore marriage. Seek to protect and preserve. We cannot remain indifferent. And church, we must come alongside our young ones, instructing them in the preciousness of sex and the purpose of sex and the place of desire. We must also come alongside our older ones who may find themselves in our seasons of singleness, outside of choices that they made, circumstances. Come alongside them. Encourage them. Live out and play out the soundtrack of gospel goodness and godly love on repeat so that they can spot the things that are out of truth. I just picture in our church how great it would be if our older couples started encouraging some of the younger ones, hearing their stories, asking them questions, knowing them, encouraging them, saying, this is a precious thing God is doing here. We want to get alongside you. We're here for you. Maybe give them insight into your marriage both the joys and the difficulties. Praise God for the marriages amongst us. It was awesome. Last week, my parents got to celebrate 40 years of marriage. Praise God. Praise God. It's a testament to God's covenant-keeping grace in their marriage, and there's a story of God's covenant-keeping grace with His people. This is the story we need to hear. Our sexual choices are not just simply private matters, but they are of public concern. So we want to promote the good and protect from the bad. Secondly, though, this public concern doesn't absolve personal responsibility, is it? Does it? It's not as if the community can say one thing and then individuals can live however they want and ignore what the community is trying to cultivate. And so we must each take the virtues and the values from God's Word and God's community and then embody them in our heart and soul and so live out a God-honoring sexual ethic. So that's the second point. We must each take personal responsibility. You hear the maiden response there in verse 10, and she talks about the path she took, and then she contrasts that path with the path she didn't take in verses 11 to 12. So look at verse 10. The path she took was one of peace. I was a wall. My breasts were like towers. 
then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. So the, the maiden here kind of pipes up, and she looks kind of back on her life, and she, she acknowledges, I was sexually mature. My breasts were like towers. I was ready to go, I was, I, but I was a war. I was a virgin. She, she, she kept herself holy and pure, yet she's desiring intimate relationships. But she's waited, and she's waited against temptation. She's waited against adversity. She's waited against opportunity, and she's kept herself for her shepherd lover. And do you know what the glorious outcome is? She is one who finds peace in his eyes. His banner over her was love. Do you know what her banner over him is? Peace. Her sexual choices have brought him and their relationship peace, shalom, satisfaction, wholeness. His radio head says, you know, everything in its right place. This is the image. This is the picture. This is glorious. This is what loving the gift, loving the loving gift of sexual fidelity in marriage is about wives. Giving yourselves and your sexuality to your husband brings him peace. Parents, isn't this what you would love for your daughters growing up? Isn't this the hope you have for them? That keep themselves for their husband one day? Isn't this what you want your boys to honor amongst women they date and explore marriage with? So after all, is the central admission, um, admonition of the song. I do you, daughters of Jerusalem, not to stir up or awaken love before its time. Patience now, then passion. Love is powerful, it must be protected, you see? Now, I want you to hear me. We all know and we all recognize there are many who enter into marriages where this isn't their story. They're not coming in as virgins. Some have made decisions either prior to Christ or even as Christians that have gone against God's good design and His Word. Now, we, it's really important to know that virginity is not the pinnacle of the Christian life. Christ-likeness is looking like Jesus, living out faithfulness to Jesus. And so as a community, as much as we protect and preserve rightfully the sexual purity of our people, we also need to proclaim and pronounce the forgiving grace of the gospel for those who have sexually sinned. Both need to be true. Both need to be ministered. As a gospel people, we help to minister compassion, not condemnation. Hope, not helplessness. For in Christ, our purity can be redeemed. Martin Lloyd-Jones rightly said this, even Adultery is not the unforgivable sin. It is a terrible sin. But God forbid that there should be anyone who feels that he or she has sinned himself or herself outside the love of God or outside his kingdom because of adultery. No. If you truly repent upon the boundless love and mercy and grace of God, you can be forgiven and I assure you of pardon. Friends, sexual purity brings peace, and so does sexual repentance. A God is a gracious God. So it's worth waiting for, singles. I want you to hear from us as a church, it's worth waiting for. It's worth waiting, husband and wife, for intimacy with your spouse and not going somewhere else to satisfy it. 
This pathway of passion involves patience, but it is a pathway that brings to peace. The second path is not one of peace, but one of actually a prison. And it presents the kind of love that is commodified and commercialized. It presents the kind of love that is alluring and almost offered to this woman. And she's chosen not to take it. Look at that in verse 11. Solomon had a vineyard at Balhamon. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own is before me. You, O Solomon, you may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit two hundred. So what she's saying in short, she says, Solomon, I won't just be another woman in your life. I'm not going to be one of the girls amongst you. I think Shania Twain said something similar. So you think you're Brad Pitt? That don't impress me much. She's not moved by this. She's after someone like Shania Twain again, probably keep it warm in a cold, lonely night. Now the vineyard is so large, this vineyard that Solomon has, that he has, needs keepers to tend to it. Its location is Balhamon. There's no biblical place for it, but, but it translates lord of wealth or, or owner of a crowd. So Solomon's got an owner of a crowd. Do you pick up the overtones of what this vineyard is? It is Solomon's harem. So large as that people look after and tend to it. It was recorded in 1 Kings 11.3 to have 700 wives and 300 concubines. Put those two numbers together, you got a thousand. Thousand. So when she says, oh Solomon, you may have the thousand, I think she's speaking double, doubly here. One, you keep the thousand of shekels, love may not be bought, and you can keep the thousand women for yourself. Why does she say that? She says, my vineyard, my very own. See, it's hers. Her sexuality is not something that can be bought. It's not something that can be won over by power and prestige. It's hers. It may not be as grand as Solomon's. It may not look very glorious or valued in our society today, but it's hers. And there's value and dignity and worth That's what she has, and that's what she keeps to herself. Friends, this value and worth, the dignity of a person, particularly as they choose path of sexual sin, begins to get eroded, doesn't it? That's why it's so troubling for people engaged in sexual sin. I saw an article this week and watched a TikTok video. Um, I always ask you to log in, and I'm like, I don't have a TikTok account, but I could see the video, and there's this girl, and she's lamenting of, of hookup culture and the toll it's taken on her. When you think hookup culture, just think Australia might say sleeping around. And in this video, she's processing the pain and she's trying to find ways to deal with it and cope with it, realizing that something's gone wrong in this. Something's gone wrong with the messages she's received from these guys who want her body but don't want her heart. They'll give her a night, but they won't give her commitment. And so what she says in this, in this video, she, she's begun taking out a childhood photo of herself as a little girl. She brings up this photo and it's her and little smiling and plaited hair. And, and she says, is there something about her that doesn't deserve love or commitment? Is there something about her that isn't worthwhile having someone care for? She says, would I, be, would, I, would I let her 
be a late night drunken second option? Or would I demand that she be taken out to dinner, that she be taken care of, given commitment? She finishes by saying, it's really sad to see how much distance has been created over my lifetime, over my adolescence and my adulthood, and the worth that I see in this person, and the worth that I see in myself. Oh, we must look after our young ones. Oh, we must look after ourselves. There's a longing to take care of ourselves sexually, dignity, worth, and value. The path of the path of Solomon does not care for that. It is a vision of the good life that the world is offering. And can we acknowledge it is good it is good that you know that we as a church and we as leaders acknowledge that the world's vision of sexuality is really, really alluring. If it wasn't alluring, there'd be no need for a book like this. Because you wouldn't be tempted to sin. You wouldn't be tempted to leave wives, leave husbands. We'll be tempted to engage before engage sexually before marriage. We'll be tempted in all these ways. But that is the world we live in. And so this 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 um other version of the good life needs to be emptied out for all its false promises. Endless lovers, non-exclusive, impulsive, commodifying love and sex. It's unfulfilling, it's distorted, and it is destructive, so you show it for what it is. You and I may not be presented with a thousand women to choose from, but we are presented in the digital world thousands of others who will give themselves to you through online pornography. Friends, this is not the way to life. This is the way to prison. Listen to how C.S. Lewis describes this narrowing effect on our, um, on, of sexual fantasy on a man's personal identity and his capacity to love. And I think it's equally applied to a woman. Listen to this. He says, for me... The real evil of masturbation would be that it takes an appetite which in proper use leads the individual out of himself to complete his own personality and that of another and finally in children and grandchildren and instead turns it back, sends the man back into the prison of himself there to keep a harem of imaginary brides. And this harem, once admitted, works against his ever getting out and really uniting with a real woman. For the harem is always accessible, always subservient, calls for no sacrifices or adjustments, and can be endowed with erotic and psychological attractions which no real woman can rival. Among those shadowy brides, he is always adored, always the perfect lover. No demand is made on him for his, uns- for his unselfishness, no mortification ever imposed on his vanity. In the end, they become merely the medium through which he increasingly adores himself. After all, the main work of life is to come out of oneself, out of the little dark prison we were all born in. You see what he's saying? Sin distorts and twists good desires, turns in on itself. A harem of imaginary brides, they're not real. They don't actually exist. They can't affirm you, approve you, esteem you. Therefore, they cannot provide true intimacy and connection that you're desiring. It's the false view of love, false view of sex. It sacrifices intimacy for immediacy, self-giving for self-pleasure, commitment for convenience, where true intimacy comes from the path of fidelity and faithfulness, purity and passion. Sexual desire, after all, was never meant to meet our deepest needs. God was. 
friends, as we counseled before, as much as we want to protect and preserve the sexual purity, please hear the proclamation of the gospel of grace and the gospel of forgiveness when we have sinned in areas, particularly with pornography. Come and freely confess and freely receive. God wants to meet our deepest needs. So I think that we conclude, that the question the song is wanting us to consider is, which way are you going to go when it comes to love? Which path are you going to, to go down? And, and, and who are you becoming if you go down that path? What kind of person are you being? What kind of story are you telling about God and His love? You'll become a person of peace or a person imprisoned. Well, so how, how do we do that? Well, I think one, one way we, we take both the communal and the personal responsibilities is by having the song of song on repeats in our mind. I think this is what the song wants to do. I think this song wants you to get it lodged in your head. Um, I was watching a Denzel Washington movie uh, last week with Sam, and um, there's, this mo- there's this scene where Denzel's like just laying on his bed, looking up, and he's thinking. And so I, uh, I leant over to Sam and said, I slept, but my heart was awake, um, which is early lines from Song of Songs. He chuckled, and there's been other instances, and Tegan can probably attest to it, where I've found myself just randomly quoting things from the Song of Songs. There's obviously an appropriate way to share it and times to say it. Sam was such an appropriate moment. But there really is a call to let the song get stuck in your head, isn't it? Let, this, let that melody start getting its way into your heart so it starts forming your habits. And this is a process that takes time. Listen to how the song ends. Because I think the way the song ends kind of gives us a clue to how we are to keep listening to the song and how we as a community of God's people keep being formed by it. Look at verse 13. Are you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice? Let me hear it. So here the, the, the man is speaking, the husband is speaking. And, and see what he's saying? He he's wants the community, you all need to hear what my wife has to say. You all need to hear what she's saying here. Let her words speak to you. Let her wisdom come to you. Embrace her song. Let it be a sweet sound to your ears. Church, we just, we just got to recognize we're, we're already listening to something about what you do with your sexuality, what you do with your marriage, what you do with your singleness, what you do with your desires. You're all listening to something. The song is saying, would you just listen to the pure melody of the gospel? Would you listen to the biblical story? And what song does she present? She says, verse 14, Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountain of spices. Our bride's first words from Song of Songs 1, 2, was let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Her last words here, she is still longing for him, and she is longing for more than a kiss. You get the sense that this is not their first encounter, and it won't be their last her language kind of has this excitement about it, doesn't it? There's kind of a pace to it. It's hurry, make haste. Make haste where? It doesn't really matter where, as long as we're together. As long as we're drawn in with one another. Whatever separates them, she wants to close. Whatever gap there is with their belonging together, she wants to bring it close together. She's attentive to her husband, to the regular need to get away in sexual intimacy, giving 
of herself to him and him giving of her himself to her. So she says, make haste. And if someone asks you at work, what did you learn about Sunday at church? You could say, oh, the Bible taught about the ongoing invitation for sexual passion in marriage. Some of you are thankful you're not going back to work on Monday because you're not going to say that. But that's what the story is selling. That's what the song is saying. It's calling our attention. Lean in. This is the way it speaks about it. It's attention-grabbing. It's good and glorious. The song ends with another invitation towards intimacy. And then the song just kind of finishes, doesn't it? It just kind of ends. She says, make haste, my love, and be like the gazelle. It's kind of this right off into the sunset. You're kind of left wondering, like, well, what's going to happen? I think you get the picture. He's going to say yes. But it kind of leaves you longing for more, doesn't it? It's almost an abrupt ending. It's like when you're midway through a rom-com and you're like cheering for love to win. I hope they end up understanding each other that they really do like each other and they are compatible and they love can overcome their differences. That this problem here won't, won't, won't be like that forever. Gee, I hope love wins. Gee, I hope covenant love wins here. It leaves you longing for more. And so, friends, I think as we come to the end of the series, you, you probably have to just recognize in yourself the way the song ends. It leaves us longing for more. And probably you're all, each of us here, longing for more. Song... It's meant to kind of leave you longing for more. Those longings might look different. For some of you, you're longing just for more intimacy in your marriage, more deeply connecting of hearts, more attention and affection, more passion, more expression of desire in both how you speak and and what you say and, and how you draw near to each other. Not necessarily from a place of absence, but from a place of more of this, and this song has hope, helped fuel the fire of fidelity and passion, and maybe some of you feel hope, hopeful. Others, you have the same longings, but your longing has come with an ache. For you, this, this song or song seems good to be true. There's temptation to even dismiss it. Maybe some of you hear it and you think, that kind of love, that's probably for someone else. Choices I've made, I'm not sure I even deserve that kind of love. Perhaps things, things seem so bleak, you just don't know a way forward. And you're longing, you're longing for this whole thing just to be over. You're just longing for Christmas. You may feel hopeless. For some of you in your singleness, spending time in the Song of Songs has felt like the ultimate third wheel and you've hated it. Wondering when could this end? When could it be my turn? And you've had to navigate even fighting some cynicism in your own heart. Such love that they present just seems out of reach. Or at least you see the gap between how anyone could love you like that. So you long for that kind of love, that kind of lover. I think the song reveals that we all long for a lover like this. Each of our hearts were made to want to be loved and want to be known. Yeah, for many, it may be so fearful that if our spouse or our future spouse really knew us, they, they wouldn't love us all the way down. And so cheap substitutes have come in to fill this desire on the pathway to prison. Some of you just need to know, this, this song, listen to me, please. 
this song's melody will last eternity. It's not going to end. The most difficult marriages in this world will come to an end. The most delightful marriages in this world will come to an end. The the shadow will be swept away and we will embrace our Savior. So hang on. Lean in. Let this melody bring you one of hope. All this song ought to make us long for more. It ought to make all of us long for more passion, less coldness, more purity in our singleness, less prisons, more commitment, less pain, more love, less hurt, more faithfulness, less infidelity, more community, less isolation, more delight, less destruction. It just makes you go, who on earth could bring that about? I am not sufficient in myself to bring that about. We as a community are not sufficient in ourselves to bring that about. Oh, it makes our hearts long. Would someone come and bring that kind of love to us? Makes our hearts ache. Come, Lord Jesus, doesn't it? Doesn't our hearts say, come, Lord Jesus, make haste. The The song strikes a chord with us because it accords with the eternal song that we'll sing one day at the marriage supper of the Lamb the day when the Lord will make everything new. So this song makes us long for Jesus, makes us long for the true covenant-keeping God who loves us passionately and loves us permanently, who's committed to knowing us for who we are and loving us anyway. This is the same longing that for Jesus' return is that feeling that we have now at Christmas. Where Israel was longing 2,000 years ago for a deliverer, for a savior, people facing political pressure, Economic distress, religious deficiency, spiritual decline, longing, will someone please come and make it all right? The longings of Israel awaiting a Messiah was fulfilled in Christ's coming. He came. He was announced by angels. He was seen by shepherds. He was celebrated by Mary. Jesus came and lived out this passionate love, showing his faithful love, sacrificing his love to protect and preserve. He rose from the grave to give us righteousness and holiness. He will build around us a battlement of silver to protect us, to guard us. And he ascended to heaven where he's waiting for his bridegroom. The bride, sorry. One day he'll return for her. So we hear in Revelation 22, the spirit and the bride say, come. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The Bible ends with this desire for coming, Lord Jesus. Please return. The the church kind of sits, as it were, on the edge of desire, longing for fullness and intimacy with God. Earthly marriages will pass away as the shadow gives way to the substance. So brothers and sisters, would you let this glorious song get stuck in your head? Would you let this pure passion get lodged in your heart? By grace, would each of us sing and live out a better song as we find the harmony of holiness in our lives? We were created for intimacy with God. So may we, as a church here at Coomera Baptist, walk out this path. May we live out this song when it comes to the ways of love, desire, sex, and marriage. And may we all say in one voice, come Lord Jesus, make haste. Let's pray.
Father, it's difficult for us to comprehend that when we pass from this world to the next, in one sense, that really is just the beginning, the beginning of eternity. This life will pass away with its light and momentary afflictions. Oh, Father, we pray, would you help us as a church to guard and protect one another in the ways of love, sex, and marriage? Would you please help us to proclaim the grace that would cover over our sins? Would that same grace be heard today to empower us to make difficult choices for commitment and to contend for closeness and for purity? Father, would you sweep all this up in your grand plans, bringing us close to you? Would you help each of us today long a little deeper for your son's return? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.